0: I apologize in advance for the duration of this episode. When you're talking to Brits, you're going to have extra vowels. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to Episode 8. Today we have an extra big episode, during which I speak with Neil Shuck, Mike Hobbs, and Mike Whitaker about the Meeples and Ministers podcast, and later, commands and colors. As always, the Veteran Wargamer is brought to you by King's Hobbies and Games, retailer of premium painting and modeling supplies for the gamer. This now includes special artisan service miniatures 3D printed models. Check out the mini models available in a variety of sizes from ten to fifty-four millimeter at Kings Additionally, Tim is currently running a new Kickstarter for a project that will produce a line of twenty eight millimeter. World War II figures of U.S. Army Rangers and Airborne troops. After this break, I'll talk with Meeple's and Miniatures crew about their show, and then a discussion on commands and colors. And we're back. I am happy to announce that we are joined on the Veteran Wargamer today by three-fourths of the meeples and miniatures crew we are of course joined by neil shook hi mike whittaker hello and mike hobbs hello and gentlemen as as you are aware being ardent and longtime listeners of the veteran wargamer whenever i have on a guest the first question out of the gate is what makes you a veteran wargamer now if you've got your gaming podcast bingo cards out um I just want everyone to understand that at some time each of these guys is probably gonna be mentioning either A Airfix, B Redbox D and D, C some version of Warhammer, or D sawed off Baldrick. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So so gentlemen, what makes you a veteran war gamer?
1: Oh yeah, it's gotta be Neil first. Okay, so first off, um can I just cross off that that I'm gonna be talking about um at least three of those four subjects uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh okay I'm a veteran war gamer simply because I've been in this hobby for an awful long time um mm-hmm. uh i think i I think I started um let me think uh probably about thirty five years ago now um I was in my middle teens and uh a friend of mine. Uh, we were. Uh, our parents knew each other, and uh, they were visiting. And uh, um, he uh, he turned around to me and said, "Hey, do you want to come upstairs and uh, and play a game? I've uh, i I was I just found this really cool game." And we went upstairs, and he had a load of fx tanks, uh, yeah, the old plastic urethane FX tanks, if you remember those, uh, set out on. Oh wow. The- uh, uh, I think uh, I think they're actually on his bed, because he had nowhere he had nowhere else to play it, um, and he had a set of rules called uh, Operation Warboard, uh, and which were written by Gavin and Bernard Lyle, uh, back in the early eighties, and uh, he and basically we we had we played the tank battle for a couple of hours using these uh, these wargames rules, and uh, I loved it. It was something I'd never come across before, and. I, I, I fell in love with it. It was a, it, it was a brilliant, brilliant evening. And so the next thing was was finding out where I could get get a hold of uh, of a copy of this book. Uh, and and then reading it, looking into it. I mean, there were some concepts that I didn't quite understand uh, at that young and tender age. Uh, things like written orders. And, uh, and, and And various other bits and pieces which I thought, yeah, I thought science sounded a little bit boring, but there was other bits of it which were brilliant, uh, and so I got into uh, I got into it and uh, started playing w- w- with a couple of friends. Uh, I found out at my high school there was a wargaming club, uh, so I went along some guys did play tank battles uh, and that sort of thing but they played with micro armor uh, and it was the old it was the old micro armor rules uh, if people remember those uh, i think they were kind of an a5 size i think it was either a blue or a green cover uh, i can't remember who it was from off the top of my head but uh, yeah they were playing uh, playing with the uh, <coughs> micro armor uh, which I, I didn't really get into because at the time it was like cool those figures are really tiny i don't, I don't really see the point i want something a bit bigger Uh, but the guy who ran the club happened to have uh, a whole uh, collection of ethics stuff that he wanted to sell Uh, so I I took a look at it and and I went yeah I'll have those so I got a load of uh, ethics world war 2 stuff um, um, uh, US and and German infantry and and armour all painted as well uh, that was, and of course, it was all the uh, it was all, it was all the all the FX plastics.
0: Wait, you mean you mean people paint their gaming miniatures?
2: Apparently so. Uh,
1: That's yeah, how yeah, so I am told.
2: Yeah, it does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> some people just pay other people to paint them. <laughs> uh, so I, I found myself in possession of this ready-made army, and, and we made some uh, and uh, made some scenery, and it was uh, it was the old classic case of making a whole load of stuff. Because we were uh, we were we were young and poor teenagers, uh, and it advised me you know um, it was a lot of homemade scenery. So I was making um, making your uh, houses uh, houses out of cornflake packets, and cereal packets, and uh, trees out of uh, bit, odd bits of foam and cocktail sticks. But the trouble was because I couldn't get hold of green foam. All our all, um, all our trees were blue. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was like things like paint. No. <laughs> can't afford you know can't afford paint <laughs> so yeah uh, yes our World War Two battlefields looked very bizarre indeed um, anyway so that's how I got into it uh, and then having uh, taken o- uh, I ended up taking over running the club uh, and after a couple of years of, uh, of doing that um, we had uh, a, 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 a new group of guys come in and uh, one of them brought along uh, this this game and he says hey guys can we play? Can we give this a try and play this instead? And it was Red Box D and D. Uh, so we we gave it a game, and overnight, we switched from being a wargaming club to a role playing club, because all of a sudden it was like, yeah, we discovered Dungeons and Dragons for the first time, and and so we, we then then spent the next two years, uh, certainly the rest of my uh, my time at school uh playing d- dungeons and dragons uh and then after that uh <coughs> at that time i discovered uh rogue trader um i used to go into birmingham with a fr- uh, uh with a good friend of mine called uh, ian mclean and uh, he lived just around right the corner from me, and we used to game a lot together in various different bits and places, and we discovered Rogue Trader and 40K. Uh, yeah. As we mentioned on the interview with uh, we, we, uh, yeah. So the f- first Wargaming purchase from that was good old uh, RTB-01. Oh, uh, I still love those figures. Aren't you they know, they can, are, they you are can fantastic. pick them up on eBay, and they're
2: not that expensive.
0: No, they're not... Um... I picked some up not too long ago. Well, actually, at this point, close to two years ago, and from the UK. And I want to say it was like sixteen or seventeen figures, and I think all told it was thirty dollars with shipping to the United States. So not too horrible.
1: Yeah. At the time, I was uh, I was working in Birmingham uh, and uh, traveling on the train, and I was attending a games workshop. Uh, there was a club running in, in, in the Games Workshop. At, uh, um, there's a shopping centre in, in Dudley called Maybe Hill, uh, which is kind of on the way home on the train. So I used to uh, stop off on the train um, on an evening and play there. And I, I don't. I mean, it it's kind of shows my age. It was a time when they'd first bought out army lists. The only army you could play was Space Marines. <laughs> and the only force, it, 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 yeah. So, so basically, we were playing games at the, games at the club up to about a thousand points. Uh, now, whether this, uh, yeah, I think this was still, this might have been uh, second edition, uh, but uh, officially in in GW, you could, you could only play with the Space Marine army. So you had a thousand know, points of Space Marines, which is basically turned out to be like three squads plus a couple of heroes. Uh, and then just basically went from there. So yeah, and... that's how I that's how I got into it. I mean, down the line <clears throat> uh, I got out of 40k when 3rd edition came along and they nerfed squats. Uh, well,
0: they didn't just nerf squats. They... <laughs> they completely uh, well, red them from let's the, say, it, it from, from, the from
1: history <laughs> hey, yeah, 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 yeah exactly it was you yeah, and considering at the time I had a huge squat army half of which was even painted uh, I, I, I had a, a, a well you know, back in the day uh, I, I had a 3,000 point squat army oh. including including like two squads of bikers a, a, <sighs> yeah, a squad of trikes, loads of plastic infantry, more mortars Thud guns, everything you could possibly get uh, for you know, potentially squeezing into a squat army, and overnight the whole thing disappeared, and it was like, and of course it's space dwarves, you know, dwarves, my favourite army, and and they, uh, yes, and it was like, oh right, okay, and at that point I started thinking, mm, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, this isn't such, you know, this isn't such a great thing, and at that point I started looking for other stuff. Uh, and then discovered that there was more to Wargaming than uh, than uh, than games workshop you know over the years I kind of you know I, uh, when I discovered work games workshop uh, i'd stopped looking at it elsewhere, and all of a sudden you know from these old roots of gaming with airfix ten years earlier i suppose um, I then suddenly discovered that there was a whole wide world of wargaming and the subsequently board gaming sure so that what that's what makes me uh, a wargaming veteran which is probably a longer answer than what you wanted but there you go
0: that's okay well to quote um for the rest of you guys to uh to quote mr luff get
1: on with it
3: <laughs> yeah seeing neil is hogged all the time mike i think we have got about 30 seconds each After you mate <laughs> okay um i got into it um well, the, the hobby really um, f- through role playing um, I didn't play with airfix miniatures I, I, I used to build them but I wouldn't have thrown marbles at them that was sacrilege um, so yeah D&D first um, I didn't actually own the red box I think um, one of the guys had the the blue book the, the basic D&D blue book which I think is the very first edition um, so we played that didn't really like it played RuneQuest loved that played RuneQuest an awful lot and traveller, um, and then I went to to college, and gave up on the hobby completely for about five years, and and then one day when I was working as a chef, I, I wandered into a games workshop, store which I found, and um, I bought Epic, some Space Marine, uh, and that was it. I I fell in love with Space Marine. I thought it was the best game ever. You know, little six mil mass battles. I had the 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 first the second edition, I think it was, yeah. The second edition game first, which was the horse Ersy version. Then I bought the classic third third edition, which was Space Marine. Played that for years. Then I started playing Flintlock because I like the idea of upsetting Napoleonic gamers.
0: Well, that's uh, that's an easy that's an easy thing to do and quite oh, yeah. enjoyable. So I applaud your decision.
3: Yeah, uh, but all of my Flintlock figures were were and still are painted um, immaculately with the proper facings, and I do a lot of research for my Flintlock figures to make sure that they're the correct uniforms, <laughs> um, <laughs> which again just <laughs> makes these apologies <laughs> the f- 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 um, go off on a tangent. And that was um, yeah. Um, so I came into it from sort of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, I've still got a lot of my old stuff, and probably in the last 15-20 years I've moved more into historical gaming, um, until I'm the butterfly that I am now. I'm mm-hmm. at, at heart, I'm still a fantasy and sci-fi player. Um, I love World War Two. I love Napoleonic um, Uh but yeah, at the heart, I, I will play a sci-fi game. And I've only just got into board games, so that, that's my quick thirty seconds. See Neil, that's how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> Over to you, Mr. Whitaker. Sir.
2: Um. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Um. We had a war games club at school, um, which I, a couple of my friends were uh, were members of, and they had they had a very nice set of homegrown. World War II rules, which I still have kicking around somewhere, which uh, apart from the fact that they had no concepts of command and control at all, were actually really quite nice. Um, We had a lot. Wednesday afternoon was, if you're not on one of the school sports teams, you can do what you like. So the War Games Club used to meet on Wednesday afternoons. We did World War II. We did Napoleonics with the Bruce Corey rules for one of the FX magazine guides which are actually quite a nice set. They were pretty controversial for their time because they actually dared to presume that, for example, Austrian troops were different to French troops, which apparently was a bit of a heresy at the time, the idea that there were national characteristics between troops. And we also played uh, an awful lot of War Games research group ancients, although none of us could afford any figures because uh, when when you're 15, 16, the price of a decent metal army um, is is not going to come within pocket money prices. So we we played an awful lot of agents with agents on just basically cardboard bases with with the the figure names with with the figure stats written on the base, um, which was actually great fun and one of the reasons why I'm quite fond of age agents. Um Then I went to university and I run into ran into a very very sorry crowd who played D and D. Uh, the rest uh, sounds very—I suspect—like Hobbsy's history at this point. In that I stopped wargaming entirely. I spent ages and ages and ages playing mostly D&D, not Red Box. So you can't take that box. It was mostly first and second edition advanced. Um, in that I'm probably, I probably carry a respectful, respectable facsimile of most enough of the rules of uh, some odd hybrid of first and second edition in my head. That if you asked me to run a D and D session now, I could probably do it with no rulebooks.
0: Not even um, the not even the big binder. Oh gosh, yeah. No. Uh... <laughs> hey, no. no. That was one of the main things about second edition. I recall is that they had this huge binder. That uh... now did they come out with different packets or was it, oh, it was supposed the, to the be the Monster
2: Compendium? Yes, yes that's it. Um, I had one. I sold it. Um, but yes, that was that was that was the follower to the Monster Manual, wasn't it? Um, now, nah, yeah. heck no, you, you make stats up. You think, what what will be an appropriate challenge level for the party? Yeah, about eight hit dice. Facko of about, what, 13? Let's go with that and see what happens. So that's pretty much how... <laughs> I still run D&D that way when I run it. So, yeah. And then um, we played a bit of Champions, bit of RuneQuest, um bit of Dragon Quest, which is an old TSR system that wasn't um, D&D. And oh flashing blades which is lovely um swashbuckling three musketeers inspired system uh, and that was pretty much it messed around with odd bits of dnd until about 2010 or so when it i happened to be talking to our parish priest who it turns out plays 40k hmm. and happened to be a member of peterborough war games club uh, and the rest is very definitely history from there on in i wandered down there they were doing a a Wings of War tournament with the great advantage that everybody else was supplying the the planes and stuff. So didn't need to buy anything. Got into Wings of War. um, Built a Roman army for WAB. um, Then was uh, sitting around with nothing to do on either Christmas day or Boxing day in about 2011 and Neil had Rich Clark on the podcast so mm. I was listening to the podcast and by the end of the day I bought I Ain't Been Shot Mum." in one of those Road to Damascus moments where you suddenly realise this is how you're supposed to do World War Two wargaming um, and, and the rest has definitely been history from there and I'm an unrepentant lardy um, as I think anybody on the podcast will know um, and somewhere after that I started blogging, I started podcasting um, then I gave up podcasting because this lot wrote me in uh, <laughs> Um, so this is my, my podcast has fewer episodes than yours does. Maybe.
1: I seem to remember your podcast one, has all of one, one episode. episode. <laughs> yes, exactly so. well, that's
0: um,
2: a start. That's one more than most people. It's, I should, I may at some point, but the problem is we're, we're sufficiently frequent these days that most of my thoughts get, get directed at these guys mm-hmm. and our listeners. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it really. And then for my sins having joined the club, I'm now chairman of the club. And I run a war game show, because I'm mad. Yeah. I I understand that completely. I I made the mistake
0: of going to an American Legion meeting, which is similar to your British Legion, and Uh uh, went for uh, a meeting just to see what was going on, what we were doing for Memorial Day, because our post always has a Memorial Day service uh, at the local cemetery, and I just wanted to see how I could help and what the plan was, and... Lo and behold, they're having officer elections at that very same meeting, and they said, "We need some younger blood. Jay's here. Let's let's make him post commander." And that that that's what you get for going to a meeting.
1: Was <laughs> it volunteers? And if we take it's our
2: AGM on Monday. I should be doing a bit of that.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so, that's oh, yeah. That's me. But, yeah, the pretty. It seems to be there's a, a pretty typical arc. Uh, like, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of different podcasts ask the same question to their guests. It seems to be a pretty similar arc. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 42. Uh, you guys are north of that, if I'm not mistaken. But it still seems to be, for the most part, if you're over the age of 35 or so, you have your choice of starting with Airfix, Redbox D&D, or some version of Warhammer. And, uh, I, there's probably some value to maybe getting some other, getting some other insight into that from other folks. But I just find it interesting that we all seem to have very similar origin stories, for lack of a better term. Now, I think for the younger guys getting in, I think you're going to see a lot more of various other role playing games, maybe even possibly Magic the Gathering or, uh, you know, the privateer press stuff. And yeah, I think it's interesting in the last, oh, we'll say 15 years that their you know, games workshop at least does not have the stranglehold on fantasy and science fiction gaming that it used to have. I mean, they're still the big guy on the block, but they're not, they're not exclusive anymore. And I think that that might bear some further discussion later on, but getting on with it. um, What, what got you guys together? Uh, on to Meeples Meeples and Miniatures
1: right, shall I take that one guys? go on then As it your show okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> okay now uh, Meeples and Miniatures has the distinction of actually, uh, it's its 10th uh, birthday this month uh, in January um, and uh, when it was first started uh, it was a solo show and whilst uh, I'm sure you can appreciate whilst solo shows have their place and there are some people that only ever do solo <laughs> podcasts uh, it can be quite difficult if you're listening to a show only having one voice uh, especially if that one voice uh, potentially isn't massively interesting and you know uh, being blessed with uh, a Brummie accent that comes out from time to time um i don't think i have the best uh, I, I, on my own i probably i haven't got the best voice but i was just willing to keep talking and and, and hope everybody had work their way through it however uh it was suggested to me by uh, a lot of people but it will probably be better uh if there was a second voice on the show so uh, we actually went through um a couple of iterations. Uh, I did a, quite a few shows with uh, a mutual friend, Of some of ours called uh, Rich Jones. Um, hello, Rich, if you. Wasn't there the infamous four-hour Luffy uh, episode? Uh, there was the infamous four. No, well, it was. It was only a three-hour show. We, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. The first show I did with more than one guest. Uh, it had Dave Luff and a guy called Jerry Koska, who, who was a, a Finnish lad uh, who we knew from club. Uh, we were gaming together in Coventry at the time, uh, and that went on for three hours. And that was like, uh, I didn't want to do a three hour show. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, so, anyway, bottom line is, um, I knew Rich Jones uh, be- uh, from uh War Games Journal. Uh, and uh, because um, he'd been uh, running that magazine with Neil Fawcett, who now runs Spartan Games, uh, and uh, so I knew Rich, and I, I interviewed him, and then chatted about him about coming on the show. So we, uh, it was a 2 some for a bit, and then uh, Rich had we got it was around the time Saga came out or was coming out, and Rich had uh, a mate uh, who, was our, who was playtesting. who was play testing. Uh, and said oh it would be a really good idea if you talk to this guy uh, about Saga uh, that guy happened to be a certain Mr. Mike hello <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first time we had a mic on the show we were interviewed uh, uh, because Mike and Rich were doing the playtesting for Saga uh, we were basically getting all the background on Saga and that's the fir- that was the first time when Mike came on the show uh, and and uh, I think we just hit it off, didn't we,
3: Mike? Yeah, well, we, we sort of knew each other a little bit before because we met at Salute just before Saga came out. Because I dragged you over and said you have to play this game. Yeah. That's true. Um, so we sort of knew each other we and saw. we chatted on. Um, I, I, I was I, I was a listener, Jay. I that yes, there
1: is yes, there is, there is that danger. Yes, I, I was
3: forgetting yeah. that's sorry. I, I spent many a many a year listening to your your quiet podcast <laughs> um um yes so neil invited me on to talk about saga um he, he never actually asked me the um, the first question which is my five minutes in a, a background so i'm glad that you have jay um and that was well we weren't doing but it ben, back in the ben day then he's again, never maybe. asked himself either no, that's true um and that was issue i uh, came on 85 i think episode 85 and I don't know why you kept kept asking me back, <laughs> and, but you did, and I just put, became one of the co-hosts with with Rich, and and that was that was me.
1: Indeed, and then um, so it was a threesome with uh, my, uh, with myself, Rich Jones, and Mike Hobbs for a while, um, and then we. That was right about up until about 2013. Uh, and. Meeples on the Edge. Meeples on the Edge. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that was it. Now, as Mr. Whitaker hinted, uh, he was another listener to, on the show. Um, who I got to know around the game circuit, um, because he's one of those sort of people who you know st- stands out like a sore thumb. Actually, uh, you know, I'm not sure that you're right there because I don't think we
2: met until after after I'd started co-presenting. Edit point. Yeah, pretty <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think so. I think pretty sure. Okay.
3: Yeah,
2: we might possibly have run into might possibly have run into each other at the Partisan in early 2013, which was before I started co-presenting, but I don't think we did. We, ser- we certainly corresponded a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure the first time we met was the other
1: Partisan after I joined the show. Oh, I stand curated. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'd certainly, got, we'd certainly got to know each other a lot over and then, email. Then there know, was the infamous
2: know. Meeples on the Edge.
1: Yeah. Which uh, was indeed, yes. Indeed, yes. Um, yeah, back in two thousand and uh, back in two thousand and thirteen, uh, I'm just looking up the episode. Uh, it was around. Uh, where were we? Um, yeah, it was around. It was around episode. It was around episode hundred and hundred and ten ish. We took a break over the, uh, over the summer holiday, uh, <laughs> and Rich, Rich Jones turned around and said, "Hey guys, I fancy running uh, uh, an RPG session on Skype." Uh, And uh, and invited several people along, including myself, Mr. Hobbs and Mr. (laughs) Whitaker. And so we did. uh, 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 So we recorded three shows called "Meeples on the Edge," uh, which was um, basically a a month of us playing uh, Edge of Empire RPG live. And we had a
3: uh, yeah, we had a bit of a ball, didn't we, guys? Great fun. Yeah, wasn't the best listening, but it was good fun. It was. (laughs) 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 <laughs> for old laughs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, in the meantime, uh, as Mike has hinted, he, um, uh, he, he had produced one episode of The Miller's Tale uh, on, uh, as a podcast. So I knew he was interested in podcasting. And obviously having, um, ha- having uh, talked with him extensively over email, I knew kind of what he was into and knew that he was doing some writing stuff for uh, two fat Lardies and various other bits and pieces. And again was a slightly different uh, a slightly different voice on the uh yeah, you know, had a slightly different take on the hobby. Uh and so I I I invited him onto the show. Uh and so from episode one eleven, I have
2: it in front of me here. August the
1: thirtieth. One eleven, um which was entitled what we did on our holidays, apparently. Uh, that was when Mike became uh, a regular host. Um, and it's it's kind of sat with that ever since. Uh, Rich uh, dropped off being a regular host um, due to uh, personal circumstances. And he's been back on a couple of times since then. Uh, and then we also got Dave Luffy involved, uh, Anybody who knows the show will know that Dave Luff has been my long-suffering uh, partner in crime as far as wargaming is for a long mm-hmm. time, and I've kind of badgered him on and off about being on the show, and he, he finally succumbed. So, but but actually, as far as co-hosts are concerned, I think Dave has the uh, Dave actually has the distinction of being the first co-host yeah. on the show.
0: And, and I got to say that I, as much as I enjoyed the solo shows, because. you you speak about your voice but it's not just your voice it's actually the content that you provided back in those days and uh, continue to provide is is absolutely excellent and I I gotta say I I really enjoy the the format that you guys have have evolved into with you know you've got three two or three co-presenters and it's kind of stream of consciousness at times but at other times you actually get down to, to brass tacks and and uh, get business done. And I I really like the interactions that you guys have and the, uh, you know, there's a, it doesn't seem forced in any way. Sometimes some of the podcasts seem a a bit forced, um, but you guys just have a natural, uh, natural interactivity that really, that really comes across. And, uh, I just speaking you had mentioned on your I believe on your last episode you asked if people liked one long episode or two I'll take either way but I gotta say I do like you know I I do enjoy the the two smaller episodes format I I have been enjoying that just just for my own personal taste and you have you've been in the game long enough you're able to get the just about the biggest and brightest stars out there, and that's that's got to say something, also.
1: Well, uh, first off, from a uh, from a, a podcast host point of view, uh, I am very lucky to be presenting a show with three of my best mates, um, and uh, I think that comes across, uh, and 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 certainly helps. Uh, so, personally, I actually think. Some of our better conversations have been when we disagree. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, so although we're into, you know, uh, again, yeah, you know, one of these things. I've, you know, obviously we're friends for a reason, and we and we generally come up the hobby for a similar direction. But, um, <clears throat> but, but yeah, it is. It, 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 yeah, I think we have evolved a good chemistry over. Um, over a number of years, uh, and say, so especially especially in the last eighteen months, two years, I think we've uh, we've really evolved and, and got it down to a uh, to a good uh, yeah to a good. Hour. Okay,
0: uh, what's for all three of you? Of course, what's your favorite memory from your time
2: with the Meeples and Miniatures podcast? Let's cool. <laughs> go. Um, can I have a quick three? Because I've got three real goodies. Yeah, uh, go ahead. One was. Um, the live show we did at Herawood, um where we wound up, we basically we invited various folks to come and sit with us. I had a lovely chat with a guy about Dreadball to discover about halfway through the conversation that he was actually the UK Dreadball champion. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, oh, yes. which was just brilliant. Um, there was... Um, um, there was the show you haven't heard yet, in which we, we are reviewing uh, Dungeon Saga. Uh, in which Hobbsy, I think by his own admission, was not feeling 100%. Were you, Hobbsy? No, not at all. No, And he said, well, I'm not going to take much part in this one. And about halfway through, it's quite clear that somewhere, Hobbsy has gone, oh crap, I need this game. And suddenly, it's Hobbsy asking all the questions. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that was that was just that was priceless. I really enjoyed that. So that that's two of mine. I I had a third, but it's completely slipped my mind. Probably because I haven't had enough tea
3: yet this afternoon. So I'll let someone else go. Um, I? Oh, that's a really difficult question. Um, I, I I don't know if I can actually pin it down to a favourite moment. I I I love. I'm I'm a bit of a rules junkie now. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: since
3: since I started doing the and I, I really like clever rules mechanics, and I like talking to games designers. Um, so, I, f- I think the fact that this podcast allows me to speak to some people whose games I really admire and try to get into their heads is is my it. That's my favourite moment, and and probably everyone is the fact that we review stuff that I've never looked at before, like like Dungeon Saga, you know. You like um, <laughs> and you know, we've always tried to review or champion smaller games and small manufacturers. Right. And as long as we keep doing that, I'm happy. So that, that's me, very, very boring and quite politically correct. No, oh, no,
0: not at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I I attribute my interest in the two fat lardies and sword and spear. And some of the other smaller, smaller games out there directly with your coverage on the Meeples and Mentors podcast. You know the the majority of the other podcasts I listen to, they they would never cover those um, for a variety of reasons. Not that that's a bad thing. That's just how it is. And that's you know their focus is on the uh, you know their focus isn't on historical for the for the most part. And unfortunately a lot of the other historical focused podcasts aren't my cup of tea.
2: This podcast has cost me a lot of money.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. um, as we'll discuss here in a little bit when we when we break off our discussion on commands and colors, I mean commands and my interest in commands and colors is directly attributable to Meeples and Miniatures and View from the Veranda. And you know, I it's now my favorite game. Of of any type, period, you know, tabletop war game, electronic game, or card game, whatever. That's it's my favorite now. So there's definitely there's definitely something to be said for the focus that you guys have achieved over the years, and uh, you know, keeping an eye out for the more niche stuff that a lot of folks probably wouldn't otherwise discover or wouldn't discover the charms of. Had you not talked about it at length, so there's there's certainly something there. Neil, how about you? Favorite memory?
1: My favorite memory. Uh, well, interesting. As you, I mean, as you said, you, you, you kind of said, well, uh, you get the opportunity to you know have a lot of people on the show, um, and much like much like Mike, uh, struggle with specifics other than knowing that you know we look forward to our recording times on a Wednesday evening as I say I mean when people turn around and give the feedback to say you know it's just like uh being around a table with some friends and, and actually it's at the point in our recording that that is the case but yeah it's it's having the opportunity uh to meet up with some people you know if it wasn't for this podcast I would never have met people like Rich Clark um, Henry Hyde, uh, uh, and so many other people, um, who I now consider to be mm-hmm. really good friends, uh, and that for me is is the big thing. And as I just say, obviously, as we've got bigger, we've we've just had the opportunity to uh, to talk to so many people and talk to so many brilliant people about what they do in the hobby. And interestingly, when you talk about, you know, other podcasts, I mean, one of the reasons we do what we do, other than the fact of, you know, it's because nobody talks about it, that is simply a case. If you're starting out in podcasting, um, sometimes it's no good doing whatever mm-hmm. everybody else does. You have to, I mean, I, w- I was, I was lucky in the fact of, you know, I started, podcasting 10 years ago when it wasn't fashionable to do a games podcast, there wasn't that many of us around at the time and it was looking around to saying okay, what's, what are people talking about and what are people not talking about and it just so happened that uh, my, m- my particular interest in the hobby, no one was talking about uh, and so I started, and so I thought okay, I'll start a podcast and start talking about it, now there were a couple of other guys that were around at the time um uh I think my favorite actually was all about miniatures mm-hmm. uh um i uh, who who that was now that was a fantastic show uh but unfortunately they only lasted about i think it was about fifteen episodes or so uh before they stopped um but as I say it turns out that you know a, a lot of shows for whatever you know cover mainstream games or 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 what have you and there aren't that many that cover what we cover, and you know, part of that is intentional, it's because you're covering something that no one else talks about, but so within that, there is a huge space to talk to an awful lot of fantastic mm-hmm. people and you know, that, is, that has been the privilege of the show the fact that, especially now we've been going for so long and people know about us that we have the opportunity to talk to people and people actually want to talk to us uh, and, and that, is, that is a joy every time we interview people uh, and uh, you know, we've come across several surprises over the years uh, with people who you know, we've got on the show and we know them slightly for, you know, because of the game and we've had some of the most fantastic conversations uh, with interviews with people which we, you know, we come off at the end and uh, you know so you know we shut down all the recording and everything and uh, we're just chatting at the end and we kind of go wow that was a fantastic time we really enjoyed that and that for me is one of the best parts of podcasting yeah uh, other than the interactions with you know with the listeners which is which is great itself but yeah that that whole opportunity and then and then just having a having a fab time yeah. to, to people
0: and and <laughs> definitely your your passion each of your passions for this show really comes across i i feel i mean it's you know, you you say that you know you record every Wednesday, Wednesday night, but it doesn't seem like, you know, you it doesn't come across like it's a chore for you. You know, you're you're glad to be doing it, and I can only hope that, you know, uh, in 172 episodes from now, that I've still got that same enthusiasm. So, you know, bravo to you guys for for making it work for as long as you have. Um, now, I've got a tough question for you. And I know we're we're not quite running up against a wall, but we are limited in time. But this is something I think needs to be addressed. Each and every one of you, and myself included, have pointed to GW as sort of, or at least partially, your entree to miniatures wargaming.
2: Fine. <laughs> there's always, <laughs> well, there's always, well, there's always don't,
1: somebody. Don't you have, have some cake
2: to eat? Don't you <laughs> uh, yes but I'm not allowed to mention it yet <laughs>
0: um, given the recent uh, given the recent reprint of the Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader book which was on sale at Warhammer World for uh, as part of an event and their for lack of a better term their retread of Blood Bowl and their continual retread of, of uh, Space Hulk and also their uh, their recasting service or their custom casting service of older models. It, it seems to me like they're trying to win back the older demographic that is us and guys like us.
3: What would it take for Games Workshop to get you back? I'd want to see the Warmaster Master back out. Oh. myself. Um, it, it's the same answer to anything the only thing that would get me back into playing GW games would be a good game system as well supported. I would love to see Warmaster come back or the Warmaster Miniatures, because I use them in Sword and Sphere. And I'd love to see Epic come back in, this, in the right scale, not in the 8mm scale. But they, I I think they're doing some, some good stuff at the moment. They seem to have, a, have have had a sea change in their attitudes. And if they, if they keep doing that, I think, you know, I I I would play a Games Workshop game if I thought it was worth playing but that's the same with any manufacturer mm-hmm. yeah it's
0: yeah I think that as as our interest in games has matured and by that I mean what we want out of a game has matured you know the GW stuff by and large just seems to uh, doesn't interest me as much anymore and I talk about this on my last episode about the uh, with the current you know 40k especially where they've got you know every army has more and more special rules and they've got different different ways to for units to interact with one another and create these synergies which kind of appeals to I would imagine they're trying to appeal to magic players and also the privateer uh, press players Um because those, both of those games are, are based on finding and establishing uh, synergies between the abilities of the different cards or figures. And I think they're they're trying to appeal to that, and I'm not sure that's necessary... That's not necessarily the type of game I want to play.
2: It's also a recipe for headache, hmm. because you get, within different units, you get N-squared potential interactions... And the old that unless you're incredibly careful, one of those is gonna break the game.
3: Right. And uh Yeah, but don't worry, yeah. Mike, because they'll bring out another army next month which will be better than the rest and everybody will go by that.
2: Yeah. Oh, you cynic. <clears throat>
0: Not yeah. so so I wonder in and, and this is you know, I've I've talked yeah, I talked earlier about wanting to get my uh uh wanting to get well, when you interviewed me, which is going to be on the Meeples and podcast, so if you're not listening to Meeples and Adventures podcast already, uh, I would recommend you go take a listen, subscribe. Don't go back to episode one on the advice of uh, our of uh, the host, Neil Shook, but um, yeah, I, I want to get my old 40K figures out, my Rogue Trader era figures out, and do some skirmish wargaming. And my brother wants to do something similar, so... We're gonna dig out Necromunda and we're gonna make some changes to it, and because it's a skirmishy game that we can get eight to twelve figures on the board and have a grand time with, but it's gonna require some tweaking to make it more in line with the type of game we want to play. And I'll talk about that more, I'm sure, on future episodes of of Veteran War Gamer. But uh, no, there there definitely is a sea change. You know, there they are definitely bringing back I don't want to say bringing back but they're definitely opening their vision to the older stuff you know they've they had a series of art books from uh, the earlier days of uh, you know Realm of Chaos for example and uh, they've got a, a series of books like I said they've got the Chaos book they've got an Imperium book they've got an Eldar book and it's artwork from the very earliest days up to the present and I think that speaks to Maybe an unstated attempt to get us old guys back, and I wonder if maybe reissuing Blood Bowl might be part of that because Blood Bowl is so awfully popular with, you know, guys our age.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it is interesting because at one point um, in in the non too in the non too distant past, uh, specialist games were thing yeah you know, were done and dusted, and Games Workshop distanced themselves from, self from anything that was in the specialist game catalog. Uh, now since then I believe they've had a change of management uh, and so as you say it, it, they've kind of discovered that actually uh, yeah, there is something there and to be fair I've always thought that some of the specialist games they came out with had the likes of Space Hulk um, Blood Bowl uh,
2: the entire uh, Warhammer uh, historical output
1: uh, Mordheim um, but certain, well, I was going to say that those that, 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 that things like and especially things like uh, I mean, was a great game, uh, and they were far better than their uh, you know their that their, their normal 40k Warhammer core.
0: Product. Well, speaking of that, I think that I think that their core engine for Warhammer is better suited to a skirmish game, and you 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 had mentioned playing uh, Second Edition with 1,000 point armies. I think second edition is perfect with a 1000 point army where you've got basically a platoon of, Hmm. you know, two or three squads and, and a couple of character figures. And if you don't get here and if you don't go hero hammer with it, it's, it's a good game. It's a great game and it plays well and and it's relatively clean. But when you start getting into things like, you know, the, the apocalypse stuff where you've got 10,000 points to a side and you've got Titans that are shooting at each other from 24 inches away it gets it gets a bit ridiculous. It almost, it almost becomes a caricature of itself if that's possible in a game that's mm. based largely on caricatures of science fiction tropes but you know, I, I think that yeah. there are people that work there and have worked there that can do a good job designing games. And I wonder if they've just hitched their wagons so long to that core to those core mechanisms that they're afraid to let it go at some point. And mm. They're, yeah. They they keep patching something that's irrevocably broken or so ancient, for lack of a better term. Because you know, YuGo IGo. I is there anybody that's making a serious game? You know, anybody that's still making YuGo IGo games on a regular basis? Mantic Kings
1: of War. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but yeah, but having said that. Uh, uh, to a great extent, and here's a here's a controversial question. Uh, isn't part of the whole thing we, you know, we Kings of War at the end of the day, that mops up uh, a whole load of uh, X Games Workshop players who don't want to go Age of Sigmar? But, but note no, that you know, Warpath is so
2: also I, I Go You an Go, purpose. and yes, that's for mopping up all the 40k players, and Dreadball is I Go You Go, and, and but. M- Mantic have pretty much pinned
1: yeah, their... Hang, hang, hang on, Dreadball's yeah, slightly but different. Mantic
2: have pretty much, for their cool rule sets, pinned themselves to the I-Go-You-Go world. Hmm.
1: Yeah. To, to answer your <laughs> original question, Jay... Oh, look, um... we digressed again. <laughs> of, <what would> it... <laughs> well,
0: that's my fault also. I, I took us down that path. Uh,
1: no. <laughs> what would it take for you to play Games Workshop? Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, I'm actually in the camp of I've, I've been there and done it and uh you know i yeah i drank deep from the kool-aid uh for a long time uh but really i've moved on i i mean you know i still own and cherish my first edition space hulk which is still one of my favorite games uh of all time um other than that these days no i think there's uh, uh i think there's much more out there. Fair than enough. I mean,
0: I, it's no secret that I use Games Workshop figures for non-Games Workshop games. Um,
1: but that that yeah. is to be applauded because for some, for, for, and this is the thing, for some reasons uh, there are so many people in a mindset that if they are playing a particular set of rules, they must use the official figures. And therefore, it, uh, and 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 if you're if you've got Space Marines, you can't play them for anything other than forty. Oh, K, which is And uh,
0: it's yeah. I don't know. It, I think that certainly bears certainly bears further discussion, and I, I just gave myself a, a new show topic. What what would it take to get get you to go back to GW? and I'm going to have to figure out who I want to have on for that. Well, we'll figure that out sometime, Mike, and we'll make that happen. That sounds great. Now, I, I'd love to have each and every one of you on. We are coming up against a little bit of a wall time-wise. We do have other stuff to talk about. Um yeah. So for this interview section which is going to be exclusively on the veteran war gamer, uh I want to thank you guys very much for coming on. It's been a, an absolute delight. Thank and you for well, I time. think it was actually my cobbs. It was your idea to to do a crossover if, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be a good idea if we did this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's okay and it worked out well, I think. Um coming up next on the veteran war gamer uh, we're gonna be back with uh, with these three gentlemen discussing commands and colors so stay tuned uh, hit pause get yourself a nice beverage and we'll uh, we'll get on with that okay and we are we are now back on the veteran war gamer and Meeples and miniatures uh, I'm This is Jay Arnold, Uh, your
1: host for the Veteran War Gamer. I'm joined by... uh, I'm Neil Shook from the Meeple's and Miniatures Miniatures podcast. And I'm Mike Hobbs. Um, I'm Neil's co-host. And I'm Mike Whitaker, and I'm Neil's other co-host.
0: Okay, and we are going to discuss my personal favourite game, Commands and Colors. Now, if you're not familiar already, uh, Commands and Colors is not just a single game, but it's rather... A system of games, mm. for lack of a better term, that uh, was originally published. Uh, let's see, what's the first one? Uh, Battle Cry in 2000. Battle Cry is a Civil War game. Uh, sorry, can, sorry, can we
1: speak about that? That's an American Civil War game. Yes, American Civil War <laughs> game.
0: Not, not English Civil War or, or anything else. Uh, Battle Cry is an American Civil War game, first published by Avalon Hill after they were bought by Hasbro. And. <laughs> in the year 2000 a world war 2 version called memoir 44 was was released in 2004 a fantasy and vaguely medieval version called battle lore was released in
1: 2006 it wasn't vaguely medieval it was actually an alternative 100 years war okay fair enough yeah yeah and and, and both and both memoir 44 and battle lore were produced by a french company called days of wonder
0: yes absolutely um, now the game that got me into the commands and Colors system, uh, commands and colors ancients came out in 2006 and that's from GMT games in 2010. GMT also released a Napoleonic well commands and colors, Napoleonics. Uh, then there's also, uh, samurai battles, uh, in 2013 published by Zvezda, the, the Russian, uh, miniature, f- uh, figure manufacturer. Now, the interesting thing about that box is it also come came with a version of Zvezda's own rules called Art of Tactic.
2: Mm.
0: And then, uh, let's see, there was... Oh, i got to back up a little bit. There's the uh, Battles of Westeros game from 2010. That's from Fantasy Flight. That is a uh, Game of Thrones uh, song of... Uh, was is, is it Fire and Ice or Ice and Fire? I forget which. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I yeah. listened to the to the first book on on uh audiobook and then gave up after that
1: oh wow okay uh yeah i I'm, mean I'm, I'm, the big thing with that was that, that um uh days of wonder s- sold the license to battle Law to fantasy flight and then fantasy flight now in part of that fantasy flight basically discovered that that they couldn't reproduce the base law of battle uh, of, of battle law because if they tried to do it they'd go out of business because it simply wasn't financially viable to do it anymore mm-hmm. uh, But so basically they bought this system, but they didn't have a game to go with it, which is where Battles of Westeros came because they knew they could put something together, they had a license uh, they could use a set of rules so that's where Battles of Westeros originally came from
0: Yeah, and uh, then later on uh, there's a science fiction version called mm. Abaddon which is slightly different from the others but still has the same core mechanisms, and then a second additional battle lore came out in 2013 from Fantasy Flight. So that's oh, excuse me. And then in 2015, Plastic Soldier Company released the Great War, uh, and which is World War One. Yeah, and uh, there's a GMT is releasing. No, it's not GMT. There's another company that is doing an American War of Independence version to be released this year. Uh, They're calling it Tricorn, I believe. Mm. And so, which is interesting, it kind of brings the system full circle because uh, Richard Borges stated on another podcast that uh, I believe that was actually the D6 generation that Commands and Colors started life as an American War of Independence game and then kind of
1: morphed into these other
0: into these other eras.
1: Now I'm willing to I'm, I'm willing to uh, to be corrected on this but I do I get um I, I, did I hear somewhere that as far as that's game, the the miniatures for Tricorn are 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 being provided by Plastic Soldier Company. I believe so. Did I get that right?
0: <clears throat> I think that's the yeah. case. I think that's the case. And which is going to be great because you know we need I think we need plastic figures for Things other than World War Two and moderns, and mm. uh, as at least as far as historical and, and smaller, smaller scale, I should say, you know, your 15, 15 mil figures, and because I think that's got the potential to open up, uh, open up these other eras to folks who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to get into it. But of
3: uh, course, there there is one more coming out this year. By GMT, which is the medieval version.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, there's a medieval, and I'm I'm a sucker for the GMT, commands and colors product, so I'll I'll probably end
1: up getting it. Um, yeah, on yeah on P five hundred on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, y'all
0: yeah, need to to make that happen now. Impulse control, the lot of you. <laughs> no, it's not impulse like control.
3: It's having it's... already open, ready to go.
0: <laughs> now, one thing that's common amongst the games is its card-based activation, in that each player holds a hand of cards, which indicates either a type of a type of unit or a section of a battlefield or some other special con- uh, circumstance that they can use to uh, move their units on the field. Uh, you can see all of this and more, I'm sure, on Board Game Geek. If you take a look at any one of those any one of those systems, but uh, I guess one thing that I really like about the system is that uh, it just plays so dang fast. And it provides it provides the feeling of a full miniatures war game that would normally take anywhere from two to four hours to play out. But you're able to get through it in 45 minutes to an hour.
1: Hmm.
0: And there's not a lot of charts. I mean, sure, you got to take a look at a chart to see you know what the different capabilities of the various units are but combat resolution morale uh, all that is handled with the throw of some dice and where the colors comes in is that the different units have different colors associated with them and at least for the for example in the ancient system a green unit is some type of light infantry or cavalry a blue unit is a medium unit of infantry or cavalry and then a red unit is heavy, whether whether footed or mounted. And when you roll the dice, the, most of the systems have a six-sided die. Battles of Westeros has a ten-sided die. And there's some problems... eight-sided. Is it eight-sided? Okay, I, I stand corrected. Yeah. An eight-sided die, and I, I've got some issues with, with why that is. But anyway, the, uh, the six-sided die, at least for ancients, has one each of light, medium, and heavy... It's got crossed swords, which basically indicates an enhanced close combat factor. A banner, which is basically a morale result, resulting in, or could result in a in a retreat action. And then a helmet, which is basically influenced from some type of leadership character. And you roll the dice, you roll one roll of the dice, and you're either removing, removing enemy units due to hits, or they're retreating, or... You get additional hits because your commander's nearby, and it's very clean. It's very fast playing. You don't. There's no combat results table or plus one for this and minus one for that. Uh, usually, it's going to be a terrain effect, and normally it's just going to be or not normally it's just straight up number of dice change, uh, up or down. It's real easy in my in my experience. It's easy to teach new people how to play it, and it's one of those minutes to learn lifetime to master things in my opinion mm. because it, it's very subtle in how it works and the interactions between the units and i could gush on and on and on about it but we've got it we actually have an agenda <laughs> here <laughs> so each 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 set has a number of dice uh at least one deck of cards some of the other uh so like uh, samurai battles i know battles of westeros um, Battle Lord. they each have an additional deck of cards. And now Napoleonic's has an additional deck yeah. also with the... Uh... Great
1: Warders as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um... Then, of course, there's a board. and, and It's a hex-based board, and they've got, uh... a number of terrain tiles that come with it. And, of course, just like any other game, terrain affects... terrain affects um, your units in one way or another, either through movement or... Uh, combat resolution and that, and of course there's a preset scenarios for each one uh, each system has preset scenarios uh, I think I'll have to do some more looking I know for a fact that commands and colors ancients on their website has a cost point uh, or a point by system established um, I'm going to be playing a little bit with that here soon uh, and I'm sure it's got all the same problems that any other point system has but that's that's going to be an interesting way to take it
1: so yeah that's that's what's uh, in the box both edition yeah both editions of battle Law have uh have a scenario generator uh within them uh as, as something slightly different uh so uh and, and they're both well um in first edition it was uh, an expansion in second edition i think it's actually built into the
3: base game isn't it mike yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, if you boil it all down, the, these these games, they, they share some commonality. They're all hex-based, other than the Abaddon one, which we don't talk about. But they're all hex-based games. They have hexes for terrain. You have a scenario, which tells you where the terrain goes and what units you start with. And then you have a deck of cards, and you have a hand of cards, and you play a card. It tells you what units you can activate. You do things with your units and you you essentially try to fulfill your victory conditions, which might be destroying um, enemy units or holding areas of the the board. And as Jay said, it lasts about 45 minutes to an hour and you can play a whole battle. But each of the games is subtly different. You might have different dice, you might have different types of units, you might have different cards in there, but they all have a a very um, specific um, period feel to them, and that I think is the beauty of, of these games, and that's why I, I'm, I'm a real fanboy now. Thanks, Neil. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, hobbies. I only just really started, started, started playing it this
3: year, last year,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. last year, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, 2016. So, so, I, I'm, forgetting I'm forgetting we're in 2017,
3: yeah, so, yeah 2016. <laughs> um, may put on, um, he he. He played it with figures. He played the the Napoleonic version with figures, and I played it and I loved it. And I went out and bought the Ancients game because at that stage, you couldn't get the Napoleonic game. Um, and that was it hooked. Bought bought expansions. I've now got scavenged the... around eBay. Um, no, I bought them all off um, various um, GMT or or Amazon.
2: Or um, even the Napoleonics.
3: I ordered that. Yeah, because they reprinted oh, right. it. I did a P five hundred, so I I ordered that. Um, that was quite funny because it was up to it was eighty people who pre-ordered it, and I thought I'll I'll, I'll just chuck in a pre-order because it'll be months. And the next month it's like, okay, your card's been has um, been charged, and it'll be with you in the next two weeks. It's literally that quick. So,
1: um... oh oh yeah, yeah yeah it's quite it's quite a popular game though. <laughs> it is a
0: bit. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> now now, Mike, when you say that your friend was playing Napoleonics with miniatures, were those six mil or were they something larger?
3: Um, they're fifty mil. Um, okay. Set, set them up with um, uh, on sixty by thirty bases with sort of three or four figures on each base.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it it looked really good. Yeah. Um, now is that on the board that came
0: with the uh, with the game, or is that with uh, something else? Because those hexes that come with the game, though, they're not very big.
3: Um, no, that, that's on the hexes. Uh, what, what he did, he, he approached GMT and went, look, can I buy the boards, the cards, the, the terrain hexes, and the dice? And they went, yeah. And they sent it to him. No, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so he, he didn't go through the joy of putting stickers onto blocks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you you can always do it with a big Callistra
2: terrain hexes or similar, which produces a very pretty-looking game.
3: Oh, it does. Oh, yeah. I, I did look at that thinking, oh, you know, I... F- for the ancients because all, all my ancients are based on 80 by 40 um bases and i thought oh i, I could get the calista to in and then when i worked out it's about i need to spend about two three hundred quid on all the hexes plus all the train mm. i thought actually i don't think i want to play it that much well um, let mike let me
0: save you about 150 bucks um litco makes a four inch hex stencil yeah
3: that... that's work Jay.
0: Well, <laughs> I have the lazy but Have you not noticed this? Well, the stencil is actually pretty pretty easy to do. I've made a number of uh, four-inch hex mats, both for the standard ancient's game, the thirteen by nine, and also for the epic twenty-six by nine board. And it it doesn't take that long to do. Um, you just roll the stencil out and use a marker to either draw in the lines or use the Use the dots at the at the corners, and away you go.
3: Yeah, I've I've looked at um, at things like um, some some of the battle maps mats that you can get, which have which you can put hexes onto.
1: Yeah,
3: I've looked at those, but the the problem I always find is you've got to have the terrain hexes, and you need so many of them. I just think you know, it's a board game. I'm going to play like a board game.
2: But it's yeah. so pretty.
3: It is it is, it, is. Also, it also fits in
1: the box <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, well well yeah depending on how depending on how many expansions you've actually got uh, I mean like I mean you know, if ever there was a if ever there was a prize for the uh the number of expansions you could you could get for a game I think was I think memoir 44 um I, mean, I, I I hate to think just how many expansions there has mm. been for the memoir 44 game uh, it's it, oh, yeah, countless. And the tr- trouble is, tr- of course, one of these things is there's only, you know, a certain number of them that are still in print. Uh, so uh, depending on how completist you are as a board gamer, uh, it, it <laughs> you know, going back now and starting to play Memoir, <laughs> starting to play Memoir Forty Four could be mm-hmm. problematic uh, because you can't get hold of uh, of a, a lot. And you know, several of the expansions are actually very, very useful so um speaking yeah.
0: speaking of expansions what really got me into commands and colors was well i was listening to you and henry on view from the veranda talk about it and i thought well what's the cheap way for me to get into it and was on one of the forums i forget which one and i found a guy who was looking to get rid of a copy of battle cry and he was looking for orc miniatures and i thought well the only orcs i have are these chronopia figures so i traded them off far too many chronopia orcs and Got a battle cry, and I was kind of underwhelmed with what I got. And then shortly thereafter, I was talking to a friend of mine about because I knew he was into commands and colors, and I was talking to him about it. And he said, "Tell you what, I'm looking to get rid of a bunch of stuff anyway. I'm tired of carting the stuff all over the country." His uh, his wife's a U.S. Army officer, and they move every two to three years. Said, so "How about I sell you my commands and colors ancients collection for hundred bucks?" I thought that's that's pretty reasonable. What all you got? Well, I've got the base system in the first three
2: expansions. So...
1: Ooh, <laughs> oh.
0: your,
2: your friend is now missing an arm, I take it. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I I lucked into the first three expansions of uh, Commanders of Colors Ancients. And you know what? I have never played any of the scenarios out of the other three expansions because I have so much fun with the base, just trying to figure out Various ways of making the different scenarios work. Um, for example, elephants. Elephants are a tough nut to crack. You know how to use them. They're mm. they're so brittle because there's only two blocks in a unit. And just so folks understand, in ancients at least, your basic infantry units. Well, all infantry units have five blocks to them, so they can take or not five four blocks to them, so they can take four hits before the unit is is removed from the table. Uh, most cavalry units have three, and then there's three blocks, and there's special units that have two blocks. So your chariots, elephants, war machines, that sort of thing. So, and once a unit is removed, your opponent gets a victory banner. And for most ancients games, the victory condition is a certain number of victory banners. So in a game like Zama. You know the Zama scenario. You're looking at putting three, three units of elephants out on the table, and then they go away. They go away pretty quickly, and all of a sudden, your opponent has three, uh, three victory banners. And in a game where the victory condition, they can cause a lot of damage. They though. can cause a lot of damage if they don't get shot up first, and that's really. I was going to say. I was, I was going to say they can, but how many people have actually managed to <laughs> yeah. do that? And, it, and it's. <laughs> You know, it's it's definitely a good illustration of why people use skirmishers because you can engage them with your light troops, probably not take that much damage and get rid of them pretty quickly. And uh, you know, that's one of the one of the things about the game is just figuring out how to leverage your strengths against your opponent's weaknesses. And that's true in any game, but it's really acute in Commands and Colors, I think because you're limited by the cards that you have in your hand not only in the number of cards that you have but the options that those cards represent and the way i i think of it is those cards represent momentary situational advantages that your field commanders are able to spot and act upon and some people complain about that oh i don't get to do what i want well you know what that's that's how command works. You can't always do what you want. And that's called friction. And, uh, one, one of the definitions of war game I've heard is if there's no friction, then it's not a war game. And commands and colors has friction in spades for sure, because you can, you as the, you know, playing the role as the general in your helicopter view of the table you can see stuff as it's happening and you want to be able to react to it. And maybe you can't. So you just got to slog through the cards that you have and take advantage of the situations that you can take advantage of. And I think that's one of the really subtle, you mentioned subtlety about the game. That's one of the subtle things about the game that I really enjoy is, is you have to, you know, being able to, f- to find those situations and act upon them. Yeah.
3: Neil so, actually gave me a really good bit of advice because I was, chatting to him when i started playing the ancients games because the the scenarios they are not what we would class in wargaming as balanced scenarios they these are scenarios that are based on actual battles you know and <clears throat> as close as possible they put down the actual battle lines <clears throat> pardon me sorry um, and what neil told me to do was to play each scenario twice but swap sides absolutely and then add up the number of victory points you got in total. And I'll tell you who actually
0: won. Yeah.
3: And, and it's a great way of doing it. Yeah,
0: yeah when I was I, 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 no, when I was playing a lot, um, I was working an evening shift. So I'd go into work at 3, get off about 10. And I'd meet a friend of mine at a local shop on a Friday night. Because by the time I got home, the kids and wife were in bed anyway. So it didn't matter if I got home at 11.30 or 1 or even 2. So I'd meet him. We both get to the shop about 10:15. It was open late for gaming. Get there about 10:15. Set up, play both sides of a scenario, tear down, and talk, and be done by midnight. So hmm. that definitely speaks to its to the strength of the game, just simply from being able to get games in. Oh,
1: so, yeah. it's interesting from a from a gaming perspective as well. Uh, yeah, you talk about we talk about it as a, you know, as a war game. If you come at it from the board game angle, um, it's a game about hand management as far as card management is concerned. Uh, But it's also a game about resource management, especially where you have uh, the versions of the game that use the Mm -hmm. extra deck. Uh, So, as I say, we've got Battle Law, which uses... uh, Well, sorry, first edition Battle Law. I don't know about second edition, but certainly first edition Battle Law Uh, which uses uh, effectively a spell deck Uh, you've got um, the great war which uses uh, a tactics deck that tactics deck has now appeared in the napoleonic version and uh, uh, and with those actually as you go through the game Uh, depending on what you are on your dice one of the dice uh, faces actually starts to generate uh, resource tokens which you can then use to play these tactics cards and these tactics cards can either enhance a card that you're playing or maybe uh, uh, maybe can be played to cause problems for your opponent and adding that second deck with that extra bit of resource management uh, and that extra bit of decision making uh, for me actually completely well it doesn't completely change the game but it certainly adds uh, a whole large wrinkle to the way the mechanics works Uh, and I was I mean uh, I'm hoping they'll do that for Ancients as well Uh, the problem is Ancients is so far down the line and obviously, uh, when they produce a tactics deck for the po- uh, in the Napoleonic expansion, act- you actually get two different card decks because some of the tactics decks, uh, the tactics deck, they've taken some of the standard cards out, and they're now in the tactics deck. So mm-hmm. they have a different option, uh, but it, see, it adds an extra wrinkle in, into uh, into the game, and uh, it means that they play uh, they play slightly longer. Uh, but for the added depth and uh, choices it gives, I really yeah. think it's worth it. Uh, so, so, so for example, if someone was buying uh, was an historical gamer and buying Napoleonic's, I would recommend that they get the fifth expansion. If you're buying the Great War, it's already in there. But that's a re- it's a really interesting addition to the game, and and I was I was really pleased when GMT bought. Did that experience. yeah. and the samurai battles, has that also, hmm. Yes, it, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yes, I, I, was, I was forgetting. Yes, I know. it's been a while but, since I played samurai battles, and of course, the added advantage with samurai battles is the fact that it has those superb, although incredibly fiddly, <laughs> as Vesta 20 mil Samurai. And you, you just like, I samurai mean, samurai who puts oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge samurai fan, but I mean, you know, when you have a, a, a 20 mil plastic samurai that comes in seven pieces, mounted samurai is, is, is It's worse than some pieces. of the plastic soldier company 15
2: mil figures before they figured out it was a dumb idea mm-hmm. Yeah, um, out of We you. have I've missed a bit, um, speaking as someone who the only um, board game stroke war game version of Command & Colors I own is the Great War and I back that for the figures mm-hmm. um, I play it as a computer game Yes The first thing I got into was Memoir 44, because that was available on the Mac. It was one of the few war games you could play on the Mac at one point. Um, And and Battle Lore is on iOS also. And the other one, there was very briefly, before Fantasy Flight jumped on them with several very large pairs of hobnail boots, there was a game called Viking Lore on iOS, which was basically a clone. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And of course you can. And of course, uh, yeah, if you or have or roll twenty or any of a number of are, other similar, yeah, yeah, there are. Yes, I mean, for years I played, um, I play command, and, I played command and colors against an opponent uh, on Vassal, and we and we, we we played through the first, the first three, uh, the first three expansions on um, on agents completely on Vassal, uh, yeah, turn based. Playing a turn a day or so. But yeah, you know, I, I, I have never
2: actually so. played Command and Colors as a physical physical game. Well, you might as well go whole hog, get twenty
0: eight millimeter figures together. I'll make you up. I'll make you up a six inch hex map, and <laughs> go go at it that way. <laughs> yeah. Tempting.
3: Yeah. or so. just by the games. Okay, so I or I, I could actually break the
2: shrink wrap on Great War. Yeah,
3: you could do that. Uh, yeah so see yeah, which one would we recommend that he plays you <laughs> wants to go first
1: and and here is the and here is the problem because they all have mm. something going for them. If you're looking
0: for a straight simple introduction to the game, I think battle cry or Ancients would be your best introduction because they're the if you're going to go because they're they're the most uh i don't want to say pared down but they're the they're quite well they're just simply the the simplest versions of the game they don't have the additional lore decks or tactic decks Um, and if
2: if you add the rider that's actually get uh, actually available and relatively cheap what then changes um well they just they just redid battle
0: or Uh, Battle Cry for the 150th anniversary. So there's a ton of the original sets out there, pretty cheap, and it comes and it comes with figures as opposed to but, blocks but, also.
1: But but the 150th. Uh, I have to say, I, I bought the 150th editions primarily because I thought I should own something that was American Civil War because it would kind of and and I'm. You know, I'm a bit of a completist when it comes to my my, my um, Commanding Colors collection because I, I think, with the exception of, with the exception of Abaddon and the uh, uh, and Battles of Westeros, I own it, I, um, I own all of these. <clears throat> anyway, uh, but the one thing I I love with the 150th uh, edition of Battle Cry is that it is beautifully produced. The cards and the board and everything for that game—they've it, it, they, done—they did a fantastic job with it. Uh, yeah, it is—it is the very base version of the game, but it's a beautiful edition. It's really nice.
0: Yeah, and I—I I haven't looked, but I'd imagine it's not terribly expensive. I mean, it was a—you know—Avalon Hill slash Hasbro production, so you know they made a boat a boatload of them. So it, it wouldn't be that expensive. Um, I I would almost argue. Well, my favorite version of the game is the Napoleonic's because the the additional nuance. See, in, in at least in Ancients and in uh, Battlecry, the and in Samurai battles for that matter. I think I forget the units do not degrade. In capability, as you remove blocks,
1: Napoleonic's is un- is unique in that it's the only version of the game where. Yeah, it, and where that it's makes
0: for it. some very, some very subtle differences in the, in your decision making process. Whereas in Ancients, you're almost always going to want to try to take out the heavy units first if you're engaged by multiple units. Um. And there's there's a lot of decisions that go into, you know, what order do I fight in, and what uh, what unit do I attack with, which which of my units, and um, mm. that that calculus changes drastically with Napoleonic's, and I'm not gonna, that, that's a pretty huge wrinkle to throw into a game, even without any tactics cards. Oh yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I well, you could probably get Battle Lore first edition for pretty cheap too, for that matter. If yeah, if,
1: look, look it, if you can if you can find it these days, it's um it's 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 essentially out of print. So if so, so if anybody's, uh, I was noting Salty, on eBay
2: that there's unplunged copies of the first edition Battlecry going for not very much money. Well, there you um, go. And the but the uh, Wizards of the Coast is actually the hundred fiftieth, is it? Well, oh, really? yeah,
0: they're a Hasbro company anyway.
2: I suppose so, yeah. That seems to be going for about 70 quid over here, or if you buy it from the States, considerably less. And the shipping's going to kill you. Yeah, but for 50 bucks, I can get someone to ship that for my next visit to the States. <laughs> there
0: you go. So, yeah, I mean, any one of these is going to give you the same, I'm not going to say it's the same experience. You're going to get the same base experience with quite a bit of nuance layered on. So I guess really the question is, with all the different eras available to
3: you, just pick the era that you like the most. Yeah, definitely. And the the beauty of going for the the ancients and the Napoleon version is there are an awful lot of expansions which do allow you to go into different fields, you know, or different you know different parts of the the overall conflict. So it's what you really. It's, it depends which way you want to go. You know, with Ancients, you can go full down the the Roman route, quite easy by using expansions two, three, and four. Or you can go down the Peloponnesian route, which is what I did by using expansion one and five. So it's, it's like... worrying
2: how expert you sound at this, six. Despite having not had the game for more than six months. Obviously,
3: yeah, I I really got into it. Like oh, yeah, six, six five is epic, mate. Yeah, six. Yeah, and just one. just so
0: folks understand, <laughs> epic means that it's a larger multiplayer version of of the game so for commands and colors ancients for example the standard board is nine hexes deep by 13 hexes wide the epic version is nine hexes deep by 26 hexes wide so that's it's a much larger game at that point Mm. oh and
1: epic napoleonics is coming out this year
3: it is yeah it should be um
1: yeah, they've, ju- uh, they've yeah. just shipped the P500 edition, haven't they? Yeah, uh, Memoir 44 has a version mm-hmm. which was called the Overlord version, uh, and, uh, and that's a similar sort of thing. Uh, I know I was um, pulling your leg uh, online about battle lore. Uh, interestingly, first edition yeah. battle lore did it differently, in the fact of although it was two boards side by side they, yeah. they switched the board around the other way uh so it made it both a, a slightly wide a slightly wider but a much deeper board uh which is interestingly then um but uh Memo 44 uh produced uh, a, um, a set of boards called breakthrough boards uh, which effectively did the same sort of thing uh, normally boards are uh, so again rather than being um, 13, uh, 13 wide and 9 deep it was i think i think it was 13 wide and uh, i think it was either 12 or 13 deep uh, also the great war has a deeper board the great war is 13 by 11 it doesn't sound like a lot but it's amazing it's amazing what difference two a mm-hmm. uh, uh, two hexes right. uh, two hexes makes well, obviously from the great war point of view the reason they did it was to make sure that you could get uh the intricacies of two and three lines of mm-hmm. uh trenches uh in the game um because obviously you know one of the features with world war 1 was that these these intricate trench systems uh which were you know two or th- two three or more layers deep and that's why they kind of widened the board a bit
0: yeah that's you, you don't really appreciate the difference that makes until you know, you've you you have to start retreating and then your unit is up against basically up against a brick wall and if it retreats off the table, it retreats off the table and that's it. Hmm. So,
3: have either of you guys <clears throat> played the, the epic version with, with multiplayer?
0: Oh yes, oh yes. I've had I've had great success with yes. um, you, you,
3: you have one person handing out cards and then up to three people each take in an area of the battlefield, don't you?
0: Yeah, it's it's great fun, and that's that's really yes. where I'm wanting to go with my fantasy project is a full eight-player game with uh, basically one overall commander and three sub-commanders on each side, and um, it's it's a real it's a real challenge because at least in the Ancients version, uh, it states you know if you're you if you're the main commander you can only talk to one one of your sub-commanders per turn. And so you you hand them yeah. you hand a sub-commander if, a card and it's up to them to interpret your intent with that card. And if they don't do what you want them to do, well that's that's friction right there. You know, it's it's a good not even a good, it's a great simulation of battlefield command challenges because you know for lack of a better term they're they're getting their marching orders from waving flags in a certain way or a particular tune on a on a horn or a particular rhythm on drums and, yeah.
1: and of course the commander yeah the, the battlefield commanders the three guys playing the card uh, in command of each flag right. are not allowed to talk to each other yeah, <laughs> it make it, it does make. Uh, uh, we did a series of games. Uh, well, it was organized by a guy called um, Andy Lawrence. We did a uh, when I was at to War Games in commentary. We did a series of those at the Society of Ancients Battle Day, where yeah we did that. And, yeah, huge. Yeah,
0: I've run I've run Commands and Colors, Epic Ancients once at a convention at Recruits Convention, uh, using the boards and the blocks, and I had eight players, and it was a heck of a lot of fun, uh, especially when you've got guys that. You know, until then, really had never even met each other, which, to a certain degree, is somewhat accurate for certain battles during the Ancients' period as well. And then I've run it twice at my War Games weekend uh, using Zama. Uh, well, all three times I used the Zama scenario. and uh, But for my War Games weekend is when I rolled out the 4-inch the hex mat and I used um, paper stand-ups from Junior General website. And uh, I scaled them so that mm-hmm. they were about six millimeters high and uh, just used the paper stand-ups for everything. And it ended up looking pretty good and everyone who played had a whole lot of fun. so it's that's really what it's about right Just having some fun and it's it's a blast. Oh yeah, uh, it really is a blast when you get that many people playing a, playing a single game, no matter what the game is, but as long as it's if it's rolling quickly and it's moving along nicely and you can get some, some type of decision going, it's that's a whole lot of fun. And that's that's exactly what I'm looking to do with my fantasy game.
3: Yeah, you, know, you, you mentioned this briefly, Jason. But so what are you doing with a fantasy game and why aren't you using Battle Lore?
0: Okay, well, for the long answer, <laughs> you can look <laughs> on my blog. But uh, basically what it comes down to is when I started it, I didn't realize that Battle Lore did have an Epics version. So I started with Commands and Colors Ancients, or Epic Ancients, as my as my template to go off of. And pretty much everybody, well, to backtrack a little bit, seeing the reports from the Ayton games and these huge, huge games that uh, Henry and his friends put on really got me inspired to do something like that, a big game that I could run at my weekend, that everybody can contribute to and we've kicked around a couple ideas before on what we could do and i started thinking about it and what does everybody in the group have at least some of and everyone has for the most part has some type of 28 millimeter fantasy figures whether it's warhammer figures or chronopia or clan war or war gods of egyptus or or even historical armies whether that's uh, medieval or ancient uh, you know pre-gunpowder basically so everybody's got something so last year I tried putting a fantasy veneer on shot steel and stone from our own Henry Hyde and that didn't work out so well and that and that was my fault because I was not familiar enough with the rules to make it work properly for the players and then I went ahead and started thinking about it I thought well I'm really, really familiar with Commands and Colors Ancients. The Epic version allows us to do eight players to a side. Let's just do that. And so that's that's where that started. And um, this upcoming weekend, at my brother's game weekend, I'm going to be running the two-player version with my Skaven against my friend Chris Copeland's uh, Samurai. So, in the meantime, I've prepared a 6 six-inch hex mat that's nine by thirteen, and you can you can see that on my on my Twitter feed. I think I might have made a blog post about it also. But uh, we'll have basically four infantry figures to a base, and then four bases to an infantry unit. So we're looking at sixteen figure units. Uh, two cav figures to a base, three bases, so six cavalry figures to a unit, and then you know two war machines or two chariots or whatnot to a unit. So. I think it's got the potential to be really, really great looking. Uh, it's going to have, you know, it'll be a truly epic game because, you know, if you do the math, that's uh, six-inch hexes with thirteen wide—that's six and a half feet. Well, if you take the epic version of it, that's going to be thirteen feet wide, and that's—I think once all once it's all said and done, it's it's going to look pretty good, and it's going to be a fun time also.
2: Smaller than an eight table. What's that? Smaller mm. than the eight tables. Yeah, they were they were about twenty feet long, if memory serves. Yeah, well, there's only so much you can do with the system unless someone.
0: Well, I guess you could do, you could do two simultaneous <laughs> epic games, I guess. Got him thinking now. But no, I mean we're kind of limited on space also, and uh, about eight people is all I'm gonna all I'm gonna have uh, interested in playing this anyway. Now more than eight people show up to my weekends, but there's enough space where. Guys can go in a different room and play a different game if if they're not interested in what's you know in the main event. So there's a little bit something for everybody. I've got a crap ton of painting to do. So, but that's all right. It's it's I think it's going to be worth it in the in the end run. Um, I've got close to 300 Skaven figures at this point, and about 60 of them are painted. <laughs>
1: so. <laughs> Hang on! Did, didn't you say you? Were I didn't doing say they'd they all weekend? be painted.
0: <laughs> Never once did I say they'd all be painted. <laughs> oh, no, come now! Come oh, Harrisley, Harrisley! Uh, no, I, my bound. intent is by the summer is to have them all painted, and then I've got another two hundred or so undead, which will also be on the same side for the for the big big game, and then uh, our friend Eric. Who is a longtime attendee to these weekends he he bought a a boatload of the pre-painted D&D orcs and goblins so he'll bring his horde along and then if we have the same opponents that we had last time it'll be uh, a big mob of uh, hairy naked screaming barbarians uh, the samurai and then elves and dwarves opposing them so knock on wood everything's gonna come together and it won't be a terrible experience but i'm, I'm pretty confident that the guys that are going to be playing have played uh, commands and colors also so that'll help kind of get things moving in a in an expeditious manner
3: uh, it, it does sound good
0: <laughs> yeah i'm really looking forward to it and uh, luckily i got a i got an airbrush this past christmas so hopefully that'll that'll speed up my painting quite a bit and now we'll uh, get moving. Unfortunately, here in here in the Midwest, there you've got a very narrow window that you can prime using spray cans. So hopefully, this will this will help out.
3: Go in the garage, get a little fan heater, spray them in there, yeah. and drip the fan heater one them.
0: Yeah. It's one well, of- it's it's currently two degrees so. <laughs> Fahrenheit. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not even sure a little fan heat or a little fan heater's going to help
3: with that. Maybe a slightly
1: bigger <laughs> fan heater. <for> you, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, Jay, I feel yeah, so, so, so I feel your pain. Uh, yes, um, uh, I mean it's interesting you as uh, say you, you, you're going along that particular route with fant- uh, you yeah, know with uh, with the fantasy stuff, and but to be fair, yeah. The system lends itself uh, to uh, applying, well, as, as we have seen with the amount of different versions of the game that have that, that actually been produced over the years, the system lends itself quite naturally uh, to lots of different periods. Um, be- because Simpl- you know, at its heart, it's, it's, fundament- it's fundamentally really, really simple. Uh, you know, really simple, uh, and uh, and that's the one thing that we need to kind of con- never get away from is that you know, because over the years, some people, uh, you know, um, th- there have been several people who've turned around and say, "Well, well, we like commanding colours uh, but. You know, for example, with things like you know, your units don't have flanks, and and those other bits and pieces, and they yeah, and they tinker with it and play with it, and uh, and um, mm-hmm. like when I say units don't have flanks, they don't have facings, and so it's like well, no, you, yeah, your your units it's fine, don't have it flanks quite and facings, things, but your force but... does. Well, cert- well, certainly, yeah, but you know, it's one of these things of what i'm trying to get at is that you know it's um it is what it is and if you take it at the level it is produced at you know i, I know some people have um complained uh, about uh the way you play cards and potentially you know you can uh, uh, only particularly yeah. You know, um, you are limited in what you can move, and sometimes you can only move one unit. I was like, "Well, would you do well, that?" Think... And ha- you know, what does that represent from a yeah from an historical point of view? But I think if you just take a step backwards and, and take the game for what it is, yeah, you know, there is an abstraction there. There is no getting away. Yeah, you know, well, with every game, there is an abstraction, and there's a particular way that the that CNC is is abstracted. But if you operate within yeah that, and
0: I hate to make this my last point, but I'm coming up against a hard wall here Um, time-wise. What I think those cars represent, as I said earlier, is the local commander spotting an opportunity and acting on it in a large fashion. So that's not to say your other units aren't doing something. They probably are doing something. They're just not doing it in a particularly decisive fashion,
2: Uh, if that makes uh, sense. There's an argument to which, in fact, you should treat it as mm-hmm. similar to I being mean, shot by a chain of command, in that you should <laughs> stop getting wedded to the idea that you have to move all your units every turn.
0: Right. Right, and you know that's that's friction for you. You know, you d- you don't get to do everything you <laughs> Reach want. Reach it. And and that's that's something that I'm that I'm mm-hmm. kind of struggling with with my own, you know, attempts at designing games. Is I like that friction aspect. And how do you model that on the table? And well, that's you know friction is just a you know like I said earlier, if it's if your game doesn't have friction, it's not a war game.
3: The thing you have to remember is CNC is a board game that allows you to play a large mass battle in a short period of time. Yep. If you if you want anything more, go and play a large mass battle war game and spend a weekend doing it.
0: Yeah. And not, there's a, not that there's anything wrong with that, but nope. this gives you command. The commands and color system gives you the opportunity to play a full battle game in under an hour.
3: Yeah, it scratches an itch. Yep. Very very nicely.
0: So, <clears throat> on that note, I, I think. Say that. <laughs> what's that? I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead
1: then. No, you said it. I'm. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah I, I, as you say i think we've uh i think unfortunately we could talk for a long a while longer about this yeah. but unfortunately well let's some people let's, oh, to be oh, somewhere oh, i'm else. freezing to death
2: here
1: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: why don't we plan on meeting back up after <laughs> my game the weekend and see how it all went yeah, yeah.
1: that's, yeah, a, that's like that a tremendously in... good idea Indeed. Yeah, that's. I yeah, call so my the,
0: weekend. It's so that's in the referred summer, to it? colloquially as J three, and that stands for Jay's July Jamboree, and um, it's just this is going to be the seventh one coming up this year, and it's just a whole lot of fun. Uh, so, open invitation to you three guys and Dave, if he happens to get over this way. If any of you get over this way in July, uh, you've got an open invitation to attend. Which far flung corner of the state are you in? I'm in Illinois. I'm in just about in the dead center of the. Of the country, i actually. My house sits three miles from the Mississippi River.
3: Uh, and this is taking place in a winery, you say? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to eat. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Maples forget, Road Trip. <laughs> already headed the states in August, so I think that might have
2: to wait.
0: Okay. Fair enough. But uh, so on that <laughs> note, uh, Neil, Mister Hobbs. Mr Whitaker, thank you so much for coming on The Veteran Wargamer. I appreciate it greatly. And and Jay, it's yes, been indeed. fantastic. Yeah, uh, I look thank forward so to much. to speaking further again with you in the future and of course listening to the to the great podcasts you put out. Do so.
1: Now now I've subscribed. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And uh so <laughs> Indeed, Jay, and uh, yeah, all the very best with uh The Veteran Wargamer and uh, thank you for what you've done so far. Thank you very I'm much. Thank to you. What you're doing and you your, it's, it's your guys really as well. I mean
0: your guys I mean your show is definitely one of the inspirations for me starting the Veteran Wargamer. So it's uh high high praise indeed coming for you. Thank you very much. I was pleased to be able to speak with Neil, Mike, and Mike. Um, I hope you check out the Meeples and Miniatures podcast if you don't already. Uh, it, it really is one of the inspirations behind the Veteran War Gamer, so it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and the same with Commands and Colors. I really enjoy the game. I, I hope that came across in our discussion. and I, I've got a lot more to say about it, and I'm sure I'll bring it up again, so look forward to that, or, or not, as the case may be. Either way, I'd recommend you give both a try. Um, Let me know. uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, email, on the blog. The typical ways. If you like this longer format show, uh, I don't think I'll be doing it very often, but when I do, I hope that uh, you'll agree with me that it's definitely going to be worth your time to sit through up to to two hours of show with me droning on during most of it. So, I'm looking forward to... uh, probably at least one other longer episode like this in the in the immediate future. And if you've been listening to the same podcast that I have, then you probably already know what that's going to be. And if you don't, well, it'll be a nice surprise when it happens. In the meantime, if as always, if you're not having fun with your gaming, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran war gamer is copyright Jay Arnold, 2017 be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Discussion on the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com Music courtesy of bensound.com